Manyana Timirandasta, Nyananjana Shalakaya, Chakshuru Militum Yena, Tas my Sri Guru Venamaha, Sidantot Palasar and Nityarasikam, Hung Sang Vilasat Makam, Adariakya Sadama Sevakadanam Vishramba Bhakti Pradam, Yakya Yukti Vichakshanam, Thagabido Vashishta Shakti Sada, Vande Hung Triparari Namakaya Ting Sri Bhakti Vedantinam, Vanchakal Patrubius Chakripa Sindhu Bhavacha, Patitanam Bhavanebio Vaishnavebio Namo Namaha. Ajano Lambita Bujo, Kanakavata Tau, Sankirtanai Kapitaro, Kamalaya Taksho, Vishwambarao, Dvijavarao, Yukatarama Palo, Vandejaka Priyakaro, Karunavataro, Vandeshi Krishna Chaitanya, Nityananda Sohodito, Gudadai Pushpavanto, Chetro Shando Tamunudo, Vandehang Sri Ramakrishna, Abhaya Charana Sukau, Sukato Paramananda, Sundaro Subalo Priyo, Hey Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dina Bandhu Jagapate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gorangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vandana Kurite Mui Kata Shakti Dhari Tamo Budidoshe Mui Dambamatra Kori Tatapi Mukera Bhagya Manera Ulas Doshakshami Modame Korojadas Hare Krishna. Uh, so welcome. Um, so as you know, um, if you've been following this series, we've been discussing um, the nature of Krishna's descent into this world uh, as found in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, uh, and especially with a focus on the insights that the Bhakti tradition emphasize about Krishna's descent into this world. So, so far, We've looked at uh, the way Krishna comes, in, comes into this world through his devotees in the form of the parampara and the devotees who are part of that parampara who draw out new insights about Krishna by, by the power of their bhakti, just as Arjuna draws out the things that Krishna reveals about himself uh, in this fourth chapter uh, by his bhakti. And so we also took a look at what Krishna himself said. Uh, about himself in regards to coming to this world, that by the power of his internal potency, his Atmamaya, he comes for his own purposes. And his purposes are, of course, uh, directly tied to the desires of his devotees. So he really comes by the power of his devotees' love, uh, whose hearts are completely saturated with that same internal potency that Krishna mentioned a few verses back. So today we're going to switch gears a little and look more at the knowledge uh, that Krishna brings out about himself. So apart from uh, what we've discussed so far, uh, you know, why it's a great mercy that Arjuna has brought it out from him, um, we, we're going to look more at the knowledge itself. And naturally, it will be tied to this discussion of Krishna's descent, because in one sense, uh, as we discussed when discussing Parampara, this is one way that Krishna descends into this world uh, through knowledge about him coming from the Shastra or his devotees. But, but also to understand some of these points uh, that Krishna has been speaking about is very powerful in itself. So we'll also hear that uh, today also. And then next week, we're going to focus on other ways that Krishna descends in this world and how this may vary for different people. So uh, before moving on uh, from the verses that we left off with last week, I want to rewind back a little bit 
uh, to when Krishna starts to answer Arjuna's question about how, how is it possible Krishna could have instructed the sun god millions of years prior. And so in response, Krishna points out that although both have passed through many births, uh, Krishna being the supreme controller, he, he can remember all those births, but living beings like Arjuna cannot remember all so Krishna here really wants to make a clear distinction between himself and the living entities. And this is necessary for us to understand uh, both the greatness and the sweetness of the Lord. So I won't go too much into this now, but some of you uh, listening may remember uh, the psychology series uh, we gave last Kartik. And in that series, we were discussing there how even the Vrajvasis, uh, underneath it all, they have knowledge of Krishna's Aishwarya, actually, of his godhood. Uh, those who know him the most understand he's the center in, in every way, even though that Aishwarya is totally drowned by the Madhurya or the sweetness of their relationship in Vraj. That's really the forefront of their relationship. So this Aishwarya aspect, you could say it only really comes out when they take the role of sadhakas in Gauralila, for example. But the point being that even for this type of intimate relationship that we seek uh, with Krishna in our tradition, it's necessary to have some knowledge of Krishna's godhood. And thanks to Arjuna's question, Krishna is kindly uh, starting to give some of this knowledge uh, in the fourth chapter. So it's a necessary foundation for, for what's going to come later in the middle chapters, especially when he discusses bhakti directly. So Krishna, in verse 4-5, he uses two names uh, for Arjuna. Uh, Arjuna, his name, and Parantapa. And so Arjuna, as you may know, it can mean pure. But our Guru Maharaj in his commentary, he points out the one meaning of Arjuna being used here is tree, actually tree, like the Arjuna trees we find in Damodar Leela. And so we know by Krishna's arrangement, Arjuna, who is representing the illusion jivas, he's been covered by a mystic ignorance. So Krishna makes this point, that although Krishna himself knows his previous, all the previous births, Arjuna, due to being ignorant like a tree, is ignorant of the nature and background of his own birth, that the jiva is generally covered by the idea that, that we're this body, for example, and, and then we act in that way. So the other name that's used is Prantapa, and we discussed one meaning in relation to Arjuna's devotion and compassion before, but another way it's being used uh, in, in, in the context of ignorance is slayer of enemies, and not in the sense of slaying the mind and senses, as we discussed uh, in the second verse of this chapter, but instead it's referring to Arjuna identifying as a warrior that a warrior sees duality, he has to see duality, he sees friends and enemies. But as Krishna pointed out in the second chapter of the Gita, in transcendence or in real knowledge, there is no duality. So these names, they're used by Krishna here to point out the nature of material existence, that we have ignorance or avidya of what we really are, spirit souls or, or eternal conscious entities. And someone in ignorance tends to act in an inappropriate way. 
just like we may have seen others or even experienced ourselves, uh, if, if you've ever experienced being intoxicated, for example, um, too much intoxication, it can lead, lead you to become ignorant even of who we are. And, and we tend to act inappropriately under that influence. Um, I used to work in a nightclub in my late teens, so I can attest, attest to witnessing that many times. Uh, it, this, this is the nature though also of our own experience identifying with the material energy so krishna wants to point that out that because he wants to give arjuna knowledge that's going to help him overcome that overcome that uh, covering influence of the maya shakti um so when ignorance is uprooted then all the stages of karma are eradicated as we find discussed in in the bhakti rasamrita sindhu for example uh, klesh agni this is one of the characteristics of pure bhakti uh, when we start practicing it burns up our previous karma uh, gradually and comprehensively the more we make advancement including the ignorance that leads us to act in, in this way in the first place to act in a way that creates karma in the first place so some knowledge is needed to overcome the karma that binds us here and of course this chapter is all about knowledge so krishna prefaces the knowledge by using these names uh, arjun and parantapa so to understand krishna we have to become free from ignorance and the activities that come from that ignorance but at the same time to become free from ignorance we we have to understand krishna and as we know from what krishna said to arjuna uh, in the third verse the way to understand Krishna is through love, through bhakti. So this is what draws the secrets about himself out. And of course, as we pointed out last time, another meaning of Parantapa is one who gives to others. So Arjuna has not only drawn some of, the, some of these secrets out, by, by doing so, uh, we also benefit from them. And so it's the case with all the other secrets that are drawn out from those secrets by the great members of the Parampara that we, we'll share some of today. Um, so the first quality in this verse um, that Krishna points out about himself is his omniscience. Uh, An omniscience means all-knowing, and especially to know the heart of everyone. And it's quite fitting, uh, given this is a chapter about knowledge, all-knowing. So it's also to make the point that there is a difference between ourselves and God. So in the context of bhakti, there has to be some difference for there to be a relationship. And we, we do share many qualities with God, of course. I, I, I like the point that if anything resembles God most in this world, it's us, but because we're consciousness and God is also consciousness. Uh, and enduring consciousness is primary in this world because it's what makes anything matter in the first place. Um, sometimes we may be covered, we may be taken over by the material energy, but a big part of that is because we've put our consciousness into, into things. So sometimes our Guru Maharaj, he gives a nice example of someone switching on the TV. Uh, you know, they had to switch on the TV in the first place. Uh, they had to make some conscious effort, let's say. But if they aren't careful, they, they can't get, they, they can get completely taken over by what they've turned on, get completely taken over by the TV, become a couch potato and so on. Um, but even if we are influenced, even if we're overwhelmed by the material nature in a similar way, we can never really be extinguished, e even if death makes it seem that way, because at, at our root, we're, we're eternal, just like Krishna. And so this is something that Krishna, of course, pointed out in the second chapter. But here, 
Krishna is emphasizing there's also a difference between us and him. So Srila Rupa Goswami, in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, he points out that the jiva does share many qualities with Krishna to a certain degree. In his list of the 64 qualities of Krishna, we hear how the jiva shares uh, 50 qualities uh, in a minute portion. But one of the qualities that we don't share is omniscience. So this difference is brought out here by Krishna. And it's an interesting point because sometimes even amongst Gaudiya practitioners, there, there can be a misunderstanding that a pure liberated devotee has omniscience also, for example. But according to the Shastra and Srila Rupa Goswami, th this isn't the case. As our Guru Maharaj points out, the enlightened pure devotee uh, has an essential knowing because, because they know what to do in all circumstances, because they're only acting out of love. That's what drives all their actions is love. They're only acting out of love, out of bhakti. So they know everything they need to know. Uh, and if Krishna wants to reveal something to help them, he does, of course, that's, that's there too. But they don't share omniscience in the way that Krishna has it. And so Krishna is highlighting that difference here, that even Arjuna, who also appears as his companion in Krishna's various appearances, he has his knowledge covered so that he doesn't remember his previous births. So the other quality uh, brought out by Krishna here is his eternality and the way that it differs to ours, uh, at least as conditioned souls. So he's previously said that he, like us, has passed through many births. But now in 4.6, he says he's birthless. So how can someone imperishable have repeated births? And, but similarly, what's so remarkable about the fact that Krishna appears in many other forms? Because we know that's the case for the jiva too, right? That who, who is, uh, uh, whoever's born is, is um, sure to die, and whoever, whoever dies is sure to be born again. That whoever's without birth, and um, that the jiva, sorry, is without birth. And so they... Uh, change bodies when the current body is destroyed so krishna explicitly points out that his form or his nature is imperishable or avyayam atma and again it's to distinguish his appearance in this world from the jiva's appearance in this world as we know the jiva is pushed into a new body according to the results of their activities but krishna is pointing out that his appearance is not under the control of karma that he, he is the controller of karma and the material energy, even when he seems to take, take birth here as if he's an ordinary living being. So Krishna is emphasizing that his form and descent, they're not tinged with material qualities. And we know from last time that he descends in a spiritual form only under the influence of his internal energy. So his form has no tinge of the modes of nature, which are, of course, part of the external energy. So really, he manifests rather than being born. The form itself is eternally existent. So the example I'm sure you, many of you have heard many times uh, that's used to describe Krishna's appearance is the sun, which is fixed in its position, but it seems to take birth when it rises and it seems to disappear by setting. So Krishna comes in different ways, in, in many different places, many lands, and at different times, like the sun, in countless forms. He has many different names, uh, just like the sun will be have many names in different uh, languages and so on. And so by he, the reasons he descends, for the reasons we discussed last time, and all this takes place by the power of his internal energy, which we won't discuss more now as we add more focus on that aspect last week. But the main points 
aside from what we discussed last week, is that Krishna is not bound by any rules governing this mundane plane, that he's beyond all material laws. And he actually transforms material phenomena into spiritual existence by his own will. And so as we know, this descent is thanks to his devotees and Bhakti Devi in particular, who resides in their hearts. So we're going to jump ahead now because we discussed the reasons for Krishna's descent last week, which of course he explained in verses 4-7 and 4-8. But in, in verse 4-9, Krishna then explains what's so special about understanding all these points, uh, you know, all these things that he's been explaining about himself so far. What's so special about this? Why is it worth understanding something of Krishna's divine descent? So Krishna, of course, he points out the one who understands these things, the nature of his birth or janma and the nature of his activities or karma is not reborn, but attains him. So he uses uh, this word divyam, and this is to make clear that his activities are divine, that they're transcendental and not just celestial, like when we refer to the devas or the demigods, but that his activities, they're powerful in their own right, even just to hear about them. So one who understands them can not only become free from karma, but can also enter the leelas themselves. So we're, we're very fortunate to have so much Qatar available to us. And, and what we find in those leelas, what we find when we hear about these things, is this extraordinary selflessness that takes place in them. They stir something in us that make us want to be like that too. And so that this helps us make progress as we try to follow in the footsteps of those who have moved to, to this position of these dear devotees of Krishna we discussed last week. And of course, to really enter these leelas, it is a, these activities of Krishna, it's a very high thing actually, but, it, but it's also easy in comparison to other methods of even just transcending this world. So the main practice of bhakti, it involves what Krishna speaks about here, understanding the significance of Krishna's descent and the nature of his activities, of his leelas and his birth. So this takes one even beyond religion into what our Guru Maharaj sometimes terms post-transcendence, that even the liberated want to enter that place if they're fortunate to come in contact with it. So we see in our tradition, there's a lot of emphasis placed on Shravanam and Kirtanam, hearing and chanting, because as Krishna points out here, it has such powerful results. And of course, it's easy in some ways. You know, our, our Guru Maharaj gives a nice example that by nature, people enjoy hearing the, the lives of great persons, you know, especially their love lives. Uh, movies are made about them, magazines, newspapers, they publish stories about them and people buy them. These days, you know, many YouTube videos will be there, many people commenting on different, in different ways on YouTube videos uh, about the latest love affair of big movie stars or pop stars or their private lives and so on. There's a natural attraction to hearing about the lives and the love lives of those we perceive to be great. So Bhakti is very user-friendly in this way because our main practice is doing just that hearing and speaking about these things. So we hear about the love life of the Absolute, of Krishna, over and over. We hear all the details, the nuances, the different philosophy behind it, the philosophical inputs of what happens in the Leela. And it's hard to find as much information on these kinds of things in transcendence as we find on Krishna and his activities, all the details and these kind of things. So it makes sense to part of the divinity uh, even, even beyond knowledge, we're really interested in love, that that's the way we're wired for the most part. So this is why bhakti 
is often emphasized to be a sublime path that uh, our primary sadhana is hearing Krishna's leelas, hearing his activities over and over again, hearing and chanting about Krishna. But of course, we also have some work to do also. And the purifying nature of hearing these things brings out some of the obstacles in our own hearts that we may need to deal with that stops us from embracing uh, the full selflessness that we find in those leelas. Uh, but even that can be a beautiful and joyful thing. Uh, you know, we, we even find these anarthas, uh, these unwanted things, they're connected to Krishna's activities also, uh, such as, for example, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur's Chaitanya Shikshamrita. It's a nice book where in that book, he, there's many topics, but there's a section where he links the various demons of Krishna, Krishna Leela with our anarthas or misplaced values. Um, so even that can be linked in this way also. So we mentioned this word divyam earlier, and that highlights that Krishna's pastimes, they're beyond this world. But interestingly, another meaning, according to Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, is um, inconceivable or not approachable by logic. So it, it indicates that this transcendental nature, it can only be learned from Shastra, not, not just from the world of logic and reasoning. And of course, as you know, we, we do apply logic and reasoning. This is also important in the context of the Shastra. Use Shastra Yukti, as, as Srila Rupa Goswami terms it in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. But the point is that we receive this information from something beyond ourselves and even beyond this world. So similarly, it means it's not that we just understand these things theoretically. Hearing these things is purifying, like, like I was saying, but part of that is it moves us to act in a way that we chase after Krishna. You know, we pursue the type of love that we're hearing about. So we hear about the selfless service attitude of the residents of Raj, for example. And so then we take gradual steps in our own activities and more importantly, in our own attitudes to walk in that direction. So thankfully, that path has been laid out very nicely by our, our acharyas, our teachers, including the pitfalls that we may face, some of the obstacles we may face along the way too. But bhakti is easy, uh, but in, in comparison to other methods like jnana, where, where one has to actually stop their activities completely for the most part, stop moving in this world, rather than changing their approach in the world, changing the, their attitude and the way they move in the world. So bhakti allows us to engage our natural proclivities, our nat natural uh, activities and, and, and these things and our senses and so on, all in contact with transcendental activities. So we can understand that bhakti is very generous, e even though she also reaches to the highest places. So in this, in this section um, of the Gita, Krishna uses this term, uh, veti tattvata, and it means knowing Krishna's activities in truth. And so it implies uh, practical knowledge also. Uh, this word veti is linked with the root vid, which implies practical knowledge, uh, knowledge by which things can be accomplished or realized knowledge. And we know bhakti has a very practical component to it also. Later, we're going to see this, this root word uh, vid come up when Krishna speaks about Raja Vidya, uh, the knowledge where the subject is, of course, bhakti. So to know him in truth means to know him in bhakti. To know someone is to love someone, as is sometimes said. Uh, Agra Maharaj sometimes uses this phrase. I think it comes from uh, 
from a song, but to know someone is to love someone. So, so it's very tied with, with what Krishna is speaking about here, actually, also when we look at these, these terms. And tattvata is also an important aspect because we don't just hear Krishna Leela without the tattva or the philosophy. There's a lot of nectar in the leelas, of course. There's a lot of sweetness. There's a lot to relish. But there's also so much to learn and apply in our own lives. We'll, we'll be interested in both the leelas, but also the philosophy that underlies those leelas. It's not just collecting the facts and the details of the appearance and of the activities of Krishna, but it's also applying them in our own lives to one degree or another, as is appropriate to where we are. So a nice example, as I mentioned, could be the knowledge of the leelas where Krishna kills the demons. Uh, it's nice to know the details of these pastimes for sure, but it's also useful to recognize those tendencies within ourselves and what needs to be overcome. What stops us having attitudes that are conducive to the Vrindavan atmosphere, if you will. So although knowledge is emphasized in this chapter, we, we do see this hint toward bhakti in the sense of the emphasis of knowledge is knowledge, Krishna's appearance and his activities. And more of this will be brought out in the middle six chapters because the emphasis here in this chapter is jnana. But just like when Krishna mentioned Arjuna's qualification to hear these things, bhakti is certainly present. So in the next verse, uh, 4.10, Krishna explains the one who pursues this type of knowledge will become absorbed in him. Sometimes this is said to, to mean prema, uh, but devotees have attained divine love by absorbing the mind in him, free from fear, anger, and attachment, and by, by the fire of knowledge. So Krishna uses this term jnana tapasa here. And of course, tapa means austerity, and jnana means knowledge. And there are different ways to understand this, uh, according to our teachers. In one sense, a tapa or austerity leads to knowledge. Uh, if you do austerity, you get knowledge or self-knowledge in particular. So tapa and jnana are synonymous in some ways. We, we know from the Bhagavatam that Lord Brahma, uh, he wanted to understand his source. He wanted to find out where, where did he come from. So he heard this sound, tapa, and this led him to meditate, a type of austerity. And, and this led him to understand something of Krishna, actually. Uh, so not only of himself, but also something of Krishna. He actually met him face to face. Uh, to un so understanding him in truth, you could say. He understood Krishna in truth through his tapa. And we also um, have different types of austerity in bhakti um, that help us make progress. Even though, you know, generally, it's not you know, a really austere path in the fullest sense of the term, compared to, say, the austerities you see in jnana and so on. But we do have different types of austerity in bhakti also. When we look at the six limbs of surrender, for example, sharanagati, we find the two, two uh, limbs of sharanagati, anukulyasya sankalpa and pratikulyasya varjanam. And this means to accept those things favorable and reject those things not favorable for our practice of, of bhakti, of pure bhakti. So there can be an austerity in that. I'm sure we've all at some stage or even at the moment, you know, especially when we have tastes uh, for various things uh, that are unfavorable. Uh, and, and if we lack taste for those things that we know are favorable for our practice, actually. But we find when we do engage in those things, even when it may seem to be an austerity at times, we find realization come by doing these things. 
And similarly, another limb of Sharanagati, and, and of course emphasized by Mahaprabhu in Shikshashtakam, is Karpanye or, or Dainya, humility. And I'm sure many of us can attest uh, how difficult and how much of an austerity it can be to be humble in all situations. You know, we may even fall short of that at times. I can speak personally. So, so there's certainly different types of tapa, even in bhakti, that will help us come to the spiritual platform the more, more we embrace them. And it, it's a sacrifice. And we know from other sections of the Gita, the power of sacrifice, and Krishna will also speak about this more later in this chapter, also in the fourth chapter, but he also spoke about it in the third chapter. You know, in the third chapter, he spoke about how sacrifice runs the world. Uh, uh, you know, uh, all, the, all the things of the world come from sacrifice. So there's a, this is one way to look at this term, Yantapasa. But another way um, uh, is the, the austerity of knowledge directly. Not just that tapas leads to knowledge, but that we engage in the austerity of taxing our intelligence, as it's sometimes said, you know, to, uh, to understand the Shastra uh, as much as we're able to and equipped to do. And we see in the 18th chapter, Krishna says this directly when he says that one who studies this Bhagavad Gita worships him by, by their intelligence. So, so it's a great practice to use the intellect to understand the message of the Gita and the Bhagavatam and, and you know, different Shastras. Um, and hopefully, you know, these different series can contribute in that way also. But a, a, apart from the Gita, in general, it can be an austerity just to try to understand the inconceivable nature of Krishna, right? So to, to try to understand the inconceivable nature of Krishna's appearance and activities. We, we uh, was it last week or the week before? I, I forget now, sorry, but I think maybe the week before we, we read this quote from um, Chaitanya Bhagavat that described how we, even Anantashesh can't describe all the activities of Krishna. There's this transcendental competition between the two. Krishna manifests more and more great qualities of himself. And so Anantashesh is, is trying to keep up describing and glorifying them. So if that's the case between God and, and his expansion, you know, what to speak of ourselves, it can be an austerity at times to understand the inconceivable nature, although joyful too. You know, how many of us have felt our heads a bit spun at times when hearing some of these classes on top of a vague or maybe hearing Guru Maharaj's classes, for example. I know I have personally. We hear something, we think we've understood it and captured it, and then we learn something else that makes us question what we've heard. And sometimes from the same teacher, and, and it's related to our session on the Parampara, that it, it forces us to think a bit deeper about what we've understood. And so this can be an austerity at times. I remember personally, when I first came in touch with uh, the Harmonist online magazine that, that uh, is run by Aguru Maharaj and some, some disciples of Aguru Maharaj, uh, some God brothers and God sisters. They, um, when I first came across that, it's a very wonderful uh, magazine, online magazine or publication. And, and I'd spend hours each day uh, just reading different discussions, uh, like all the backing and foring of different opinions on some of the philosophical articles posted there. There would be people from uh, with different understandings and, and bringing different arguments in. And, and also uh, Guru Nishta's comics, I really appreciated Guru Nishta, uh, his comics there also, they sparked many nice discussions. And by, by reading them, I learned so much, hearing the different opinions, and especially seeing how Guru Maharaj would respond using Shastra Yukti. But it could be very tiring at times also, and even emotionally draining, because 
especially when it would confront topics that I thought I'd understood. And now we're seeing that there was more to understand. And even in ways that were contradictory to how I thought things were quite clear cut. Oh yeah, this is like this ABC, this is how it is. And then I'd see something that kind of like swerved that on the head. And it took some time before I could digest and then harmonize different things. I'm sure we've all got that experience. And so in, that, in those times, it can be a bit, uh, leave a bit of foggy mindedness, if you will, and these kind of things. And so it can be an austerity of times. So this, this can be a real nyan tapasa, but it's a worthy pursuit because it's purifying in itself and it can have a transformative effect. Personally speaking, I'm glad to have, have gone through that exercise and also continue to go through that exercise. It's not that it's, now I've passed through that, I've still uh, uh, embraced topics and, 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 and find topics that it's kind of like, okay, actually, have I really understood this? And it, it certainly helped deepen my own faith in Shastra and to see that there's so, so many levels to Shastra and also on a personal level, distance myself more and more from a more dogmatic understanding. It's helped to embrace more shades of gray and, and of course, Krishna is not black or white, uh, he's blackish. So the, the more we understand Krishna and his nature and qualities, the, the more we'll take refuge in him in, in all situations, including you know, when we're, we're trying to embrace and, 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 and gain more knowledge of him, of his activities and his, his birth and so on. And more and more, he will become the central focus of our lives. The, the more we're, we're focused on the conception that Krishna gives here, uh, the more, more determined we are to realize these topics. Um, it can also bring other austerities too, because to hear misleading information, for example, about spiritual life, it can be an austerity. And this may be something that we need to tolerate at times, especially when we're having dialogue with others. Um, so Krishna points out this uh, in this section, uh, that one will be free from affection, fear, and anger. Even to those, uh, I think Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur brings this out, um, that you, they, they will even show affection, fear, and anger to those expressed misinterpretations of God's nature and understanding of, of what Krishna is giving here. So this is, this is possible for such a person because they are more preoccupied with being absorbed in constantly glorifying Krishna, in meditating on him thinking of him, hearing of him, singing about, singing about him and so on. You know, they're, they're, they're so absorbed in the practice of bhakti itself that, you know, they, they, they don't have time to, to be focused on uh, attachment, fear or anger. So the more we become free from attachment, fear and anger, the le less we'll, we'll be distracted from these practices. And when, when our assimilation of transcendental knowledge frees us from these things, then, then we can be fully absorbed. But as we discussed, Bhakti is user-friendly, so we do have to take some trouble to understand Krishna. Um, there, there's a nice tagline for these Tattva Vivek series, uh, and that's that this, uh, that the Tattva is the underlying philosophical canvas on which the art of Krishna Leela is drawn. So we have to sort out these various representations of the philosophy in, in ourselves, you know, and come to understand what are genuine representations, what are not, what are shades of gray and so on. So, so we can be fully absorbed in those in, in a proper way. And this can be a austerity at times also. And we, and we may have understandings or leanings in ourselves need to be adjusted or uprooted. 
Um, sometimes devotees may practice out of fear, for example, such as the fear of hell. Hell, you know, sometimes you see, sometimes devotees can kind of like really focus on the fifth canto, end of the fifth canto, for example. And sometimes that might even fuel their practice or fear of being excluded from one's social circle. And we may also have this on a subtle level, you know, a fear of what might happen if we don't practice bhakti. But this fear based motive, it has to be eliminated uh, eventually. Uh, and, and we may also be attached to a particular understanding of the philosophy also. But at some point, like we've been discussing, a sadhu may point out a higher expression of the same points. And we need to be able to adjust our understanding as needed, as we discussed in, this, in the sessions on the parampara. Or with more study of Shastra, we, we, we see that our understanding needs adjusting when we face apparent contradictions. You know, we read something somewhere and then we read something somewhere else. So or also other ways to look at it. We may be attached to material comfort that comes from the practice of bhakti, for example, such as a particular social group or even, you know, we, we may feel a calling elsewhere, these kind of things uh, and not really feeling we can come out of our comfort zone or really. You know, there's many, many number of reasons, but really we want our entire practice to be motivated by the mood of Sharanagati, really, by the mood of surrender and, and ultimately by the mood of love. And so other motivations need to be given up, which, again, can seem like an austerity at first, especially when we start to see our own attachments, our own fears, our own anger, uh, you know, these different things that may come out in ourselves that we don't always realize are there, maybe. And so it, it, it can be easy to be angry with, with others, for example, who maybe they, they use the philosophy with, with their own anger to blast others. You know, you take a look at my Facebook discussions today. There's a lot of anger there actually sometimes in, in, in let's say contentious topics, but we may also need to just keep our distance from, from such people rather than letting our own anger consume us, uh, you know, especially consume us more than letting the absorption in Shravanam and Kirtanam uh, consume us. This is really what we want to be consuming us. So there won't be time for those, that kind of focus. So the more we're fixed in the understanding of Krishna's appearance and the activities, then the more we'll be free from any fear or anger toward even those who we perceive to have major misrepresentations. They're still devotees of some sort, but naturally we may need to keep our distance because it's not conducive for our own practice. We, we, our own practice, we want an environment where we can be fully absorbed or, or at least only have our own inner issues to deal with, not, not others' issues to deal with also, at least if they're not like-minded. So it, there is some effort, the point being, there is some effort required in this path also to walk this path. So there's some, there's some tapa. And, you know, of course, if, if we aren't, we're, we're in a preaching capacity, for example, and further along the path, there may be a need to speak about misconceptions to establish shastric, shastric understanding, for example. Uh, we see this in our acharyas many times over, uh, that's for sure. But it, it doesn't come from a need to do it. Like it's, They're not being driven by their anger, by one's anger or, or ego. But it's more for the benef benefit of others' understanding. And the preoccupation, when you look at how they discuss these things, it, it isn't so much with the misconception itself, but it's with Krishna. The mind is absorbed so much in bhakti tattva that you can see the discussions are based on that line of thought. It's not like an attack just on the, the misconception itself, but actually it's so they can uh, relish the, the, the uh, tattva itself and, and speak about it in different ways. So this path is simple in many ways, but it, it can also take time. 
And so there can be some austerity to it in different ways, at least until we really fall in love with Krishna in higher stages. But knowledge, of course, is the beginning. And so Krishna emphasizes this in this section. Without knowledge of Krishna, we, we can't become absorbed in him. So as we mentioned, our main practice really revolves around hearing about him, Shravanam. And this is why series like the Top of the Vig series, for example, or the Sri Chaitanya Sangha uh, YouTube page in general, they're wonderful because they keep us engaged in this process. And similarly with other practices like hearing the Bhagavatam and, and so on, they all, they all help in, the, in this way. And so knowledge of Krishna's name, form, attributes, abode, pastimes, they all dissolve the reactions to our previous actions in this world. They help us become free from the bondage to this world. And it's, it's so powerful. And so Krishna, in the sections we discussed today, he points out that even though there's great power in karma yoga, which is what the third chapter was about, and also has things applicable for us, but simply hearing about Krishna done in a proper way, as we've discussed somewhat today, it's sufficient to take one to liberation and beyond. Uh, it, it gives all the same uh, results that karma yoga gives and more. So this is the practical way that we can put into place all that Krishna has spoken about here in this chapter, you know, hear as much as we can about the nature of Krishna's activities and his appearance in the lives of his devotees. So again, you know, we're very fortunate to have so much Qatar available to us, you know, Guru Maharaj, Shabda Brahman, Padmanabh Maharaj, Tata Vivek series. Uh, what to speak of the wealth of Vaishnavas throughout the world in other Sanghas, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. Uh, so this parampara, it gives so much to hear about Krishna. And of course, so much can be said on these topics. It's emphasized in many places, like, like Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, we, we find um, there's a nice section that um, discusses the five main angas or five main practices of Bhakti. And one of them is to hear the Bhagavatam. And although we won't read it here today, because it's quite long, uh, there's a really nice commentary of uh, Srila Jiva Goswami uh, there also. And, and uh, many nice quotes from the Bhagavatam I brought out. Actually, maybe I, I can read. I wasn't planning to. Maybe I'll read a couple of uh, the quotes from the Bhagavatam that he brings out there. Um, so the, the section, uh, as I say, it's, it's on um, the anger of bhakti of, of hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, oh, sorry. I'm in the wrong place there. Oh, there we go. So, sorry, uh, found it there. I, I marked the wrong place. Um, so, yeah, so this is, so the verse um, that Srila Rupa Goswami quotes, um, he says, relishing Bhagavatam from the first canto, and says, O expert and thoughtful men, relish Srimad Bhagavatam, the mature fruit of the desire tree of Vedic literatures. It emanated from the lips of Sri Shukadeva Goswami. Therefore, this fruit has become even more tasteful, although its nectarian juice was already rel relishable for all, including liberated souls. So, as I say, it's quite a long commentary, so I, I won't read it here, um, but I highly recommend it if you have access to, to um, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu with the commentaries. Um, but I'll just read a few of the quotes um, that he, he quotes there from the Bhagavatam. So this, this verse from uh, 177 says, simply by giving oral reception to this Vedic literature, 
the feeling for loving devotional service to Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, sprouts up at once to extinguish the fire of lamentation, illusion, and fearfulness. So you can see how that's quite tied into this verse here in terms of the fear, anger, and uh, attachment, and so on. And then from the um, uh, second, second canto, uh, first chapter, ninth verse, O saintly king, I was certainly situated perfectly in transcendence, liberation, yet I was still attracted by the delineation of the pastimes of the Lord, who is described by enlightened verses. So that's Shukadev Goswami speaking that. And of course, of course, again, making that point that even the liberated, it can help liberate us, but also beyond um, liberation also. And then, uh, so these verses from the 12th canto, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15 in the third chapter, uh, says, O mighty Parikshit, I've related to you the narrations of all these great kings who spread their fame throughout the world and then departed. My real purpose was to teach transcendental knowledge and renunciation. Stories of kings lend power and opulence to these narrations, but in themselves do not constitute the ultimate aspect of knowledge. The person who desires pure devotional service to Lord Krishna should hear the narrations of Lord Uttama Shloka's glorious qualities the constant chanting of which destroys everything inauspicious. The devotee should engage in such listening in regular daily assemblies and should continue his hearing throughout the day. So very, very beautiful um, verses there. there. There are a few more, but I think we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Um, but you can see how it ties in with what Krishna speaks about here um, in, the, in this fourth chapter. So as I say, so much could be said on, on all these topics, but uh, hopefully it will be useful and, and bring out more why it's very beneficial to understand Krishna's descent into the world, to understand his activities and so on. And so we'll wrap this up here. And next time we're going to look at Krishna's appearance in this world from another angle. So this famous verse about how everyone follows Krishna's path, yet at the same time, Krishna responds differently to different people according to, to how they approach him. So there are, there are many interesting topics related to other ways that Krishna appears in this world, directly or indirectly. There'll be a nice extra discussion that's related, although it could also be treated as a standalone, I guess, because there were five Saturdays in April. Um, so with that, if anyone would like to ask anything for today or, or share anything, any comments or corrections, please feel free to unmute yourself now, and then we'll end for today. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Krishna Kumari. Krishna. I just wanted to um, thank you for the class again. It's just, I was just madly trying to write notes and notes. So <laughs> um, oh, to sorry. get it all down, so I'll, I'll have to listen again. Um, and I wanted to ask you, you talked about um, how they link the demons to our nartas. And I, mm. I don't know if you said, where can I find that at to, to yeah, refer? So it's, Sure. So there's there's a book um, by Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur, mm -hmm. and it's it's called um, uh, Sri Shikshamrita. Um, oh. So yeah. So like the nectar of it um, is it Shikshamrita? Yeah. It's Shik Say again. Sorry. Oh, so, sorry. Yeah. Mohini just uh, corrected me. Uh, Chaitanya Shikshamrita. Okay. Sorry, Chaitanya Shikshamrita. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so he speaks about different aspects. Srila Bhaktivedanta Thakur speaks about um, kind of like yeah, different stages in bhakti and 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 different aspects of bhakti in, in there. But and this, uh, I, I I couldn't tell you off the top of my head the chapter it's in, um, but there is a section. Um, but maybe I can I, I can look it up and let you know for next time if if you don't okay. manage. But I'm sure if, if you Google Bhaktivedanta Thakur Anartha's demons or something like that, you'd certainly find the, the exact references there. Okay, that just sounded really interesting. I've heard of that before, but just it sounded like it would be helpful as well. Um, and I was also mm. thinking about um, the class yesterday from Kishore Krishna and, you know, his Pulad class, and we were talking about um, dualities and friends and enemies, which you also brought out in your class mm. as well. And mm. I was, my, the thoughts that I had about that were, um, you know, that it were all about relationships. And, you know, um, we have these anartas and that those relationships kind of bring out those anartas. And so I was thinking where there's the anartas, there's like an absence of bhakti um, there. And we talked, you talked about the austerities that lead to knowledge. And these lead to kind of self-knowledge. But when we do that in combination with our practice, our Krishna consciousness, um, and we have realizations about Krishna, we get to know Krishna and about ourselves. it all, almost feels like Krishna is descending um, mm. for us at that time, you know, when we're... Um, working through our nartas and working, you know, on our practice and, and how, um, you know, we I've come to this realization that um, by loving God and loving each other, that we're, we have this common, common denomination of serving um, God and Krishna. Um, and that, you know, we're using kind of our intellect to understand that. I don't know, it just kind of it, it just felt like that idea of descending um, mm. on, a, on a more personal level um, when we engage in this mm. process and with others. Does that make sense? A little absolutely, bit? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And, and yeah, absolutely. Because like you say, that the more we, we are um, in, engaging all our faculties, you know, whatever we, we have, um, in, in, in trying to make progress in, in bhakti and like that, that, you know, Krishna is descending into our lives, you know, Krishna is certainly there, you know, in, in, in different, different degrees and so on, but he's that, yeah, absolutely. He descends in our lives. And so we see, we see those hints along the way, right. I'm sure we've all experienced those kind of like winks, if you will, that let, <laughs> let you know, okay, you're going in the right direction, <laughs> hopefully. Um, and um, yeah, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing those realizations. And mm -hmm. Um, I, I just wanted to add on as well, um, something you, you, you might uh, really like actually in regards to discussing the Anarthas. Um, I, it was the last time we were in Poland, uh, the last Polish retreat, so I, I'm, I think it was 2019, um, but there was a nice series of classes uh, and I'm sure they'll be on Shabda Brahman. Uh, so it would, it would have been July, I think, between July and August of 2019. I can try and find out the exact uh, uh, times for you. But there was a series of classes uh, that our Guru Maharaj gave um, on um, the demons in, um, in Vraj. Um, and then 
at the same time, Padmanabh Maharaj was giving classes on, um, on like what we're speaking about here, the Anarthas uh, that are related with them. So it's quite a nice combo um, of classes to go, go a bit deeper into that subject. Okay. You have the inclination there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, no problem. I'll try and I'll look up to see if I can find exactly where it was and okay. um, maybe I can send them next week or something. Okay. Thank you so okay. much. You're welcome. Thanks, Krishna Kumari. Great to hear from you as always. And um, yeah, I guess unless any, does anyone else have anything they'd like to, to share or ask before we wrap up and then just leave a little second. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. Really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I look forward to, to next week and then we'll, that'll be the conclusion of this series at least. So have a lovely week and Hare Krishna. Thank you.